What's going on, everybody? It's your boy, Sean, and we are back on another episode of The Young and the Righteous. Uh, Today, I want to talk about stop trying to help God. Stop trying to help God. Now, we've been spending some time in Genesis, and I want to dive back into that text. Uh, We're looking at Genesis 16 today on another episode of The Young and the Righteous. Uh, You know, when we talk about stop trying to help God, what I mean by that is uh, waiting on God is hard. Waiting on God is difficult. If you have been a Christian for very long, uh, you know this to be true. If you have not been a Christian for very long, keep brushing your teeth. In other words, keep getting up every day. You and I will discover that waiting on God is difficult. Uh, When I was a kid, centuries ago, uh, we had a console called Sega Genesis. And there was a a video game, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog, the movie that just came out. Sonic was a character on one of those games. And back then, they had just started to mess with the algorithms in the game. So they weren't just sitting there. Like on Nintendo, Mario could sit there for 12 hours and Mario would not move. You could start playing Mario. You can get halfway through the game, have to go to school, come back. Mario's still sitting there. He ain't jumped. He ain't moved. He ain't done nothing. Well, Sega started to change the algorithms a little bit. And so if you were playing uh, Sonic and you didn't start playing the game after a while, you didn't touch the console or make any movement with the character, Sonic would start looking at his watch. And then he would kind of go back to standing still. Uh, If he didn't move the game for a while, he would start tapping his foot and looking at his watch. And then at some point, if you still had moved the game with the console after a while or, or made any movements with the game, Sonic would look at his watch. He would tap his foot. He would fold his arms and he would look at the screen and say, I'm waiting. And that's really analogous to what it's like to wait on God sometimes. God can make these promises to us so we can feel like we've heard from the Lord with what he's going to do in our lives. And we start tapping our foot or we start looking at our watch. God, when is this going to happen? But God takes his time uh, and it doesn't happen that day, sometimes that week, that month, that year, that decade uh, that God plants a seed for what he wants to do in our lives. And then eventually over time, it grows and matures. God moves slowly, but when he moves, he moves with a quickness, but it is slow. And then all of a sudden he moves uh, like a flood. But waiting on God can be difficult because we don't know when he's going to show up in our lives. And that can be costly. Um, We can think about time in terms of a chronos time, the passage of seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, or years. God doesn't really operate in chronos. Uh, God operates in kairos. Uh, A kairos time is when a confluence of events come together for a unique time or season. It's kind of like when you get ready to sit down to have uh, dinner with the family, right? Uh, Your favorite meal has been marinating in the oven all night long and the meat is falling off of the bone. Uh, The rice, every granule of rice has been steamed to perfection. The greens have been cooked perfectly. The cornbread has been baked to a golden brown. I'm getting hungry. Placed Placed on top of the stove has been cooled and cut and now ready. The sweet tea has been sweetened to perfection. The table has been set and the family is hungry. Uh, Dinner time means that there's been a confluence of events that have come together for a unique time or season. It does not mean a time on the clock necessarily. And that's how God operates. It's not a chronos time. God operates in in a kairos time. It's when a confluence of events come together for a unique time or season. And that means we have to wait for that confluence in God's timing. And that can be difficult. And we see a great example of that in Genesis Genesis 16. Uh, Abram was 75 years old when he left in Genesis chapter 12. Sarai is 65 years old. She's 10 years younger than him. You fast forward 11 years, he's 86, she's 76. 
And, you know, uh, pomegranates are not a substitute for Viagra. Aloe vera is not a hormone replacement pill to stop menopause. Like, they are old. They're getting up there. Neither one of them is fried chickens. Uh, they are taking more naps than they used to when they were younger. <laughs> like, they're getting up there. And so the question becomes, time is passing. Uh, we have not had this promised son as God has intended. And so Sarah says, uh, Abram, why don't you sleep with my Egyptian maidservant, Hagar? If you remember, we talked about that in Genesis 12, right? Uh, they went down. There was a famine in the promised land. They went down to Egypt and uh, Abraham gave up his wife to be in Pharaoh's harem. Pharaoh figures out who Sarah is and says, y'all get the heck out of here. And the Bible says that they take Egyptian maidservants and men servants with them. And most theologians and historians agree that they take that's where they pick up Hagar. And so now she is with them. Like I told you all about before, uh, like don't go down to Egypt and don't date no Egyptians either. You'll be in a world of trouble. Nonetheless, they've got Hagar with them. And Sarah says, why don't you marry Hagar and have a child with her? Let's help God out. Let's speed up this process. We don't want to wait on a Kairos time. Let's go ahead and do this in Kronos. Let's just pick a day on the calendar. Y'all get busy, make a baby, and then we'll claim it as our own. And the Bible says that's precisely what they do. Uh, Abraham has no problem with this. And as I've often said before, when I teach on the Old Testament, I don't know if this brother is holy, if he's horny, or if he's just horrible. I guess you could add uh, hungry now, too, because, you know, the thirst is real, but whatever. I don't know if he's holy, horny, or horrible, or a combination of all of those. He gave up his wife in chapter 12, and now we see him having no problem sleeping with Hagar just a few years later. Um, and it's strange because not only does he not have any problems sleeping with Hagar, she gets pregnant, and we find out, obviously, as would be the case in any circumstances where there's one man and two women, uh, that was for free ladies, just, yeah. You're not a side piece. <laughs> you matter. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, um, like there's there's two women and this one guy. And of course, they start fighting. And so Sarah, who came up with the idea to give Hagar away, all of a sudden is like, uh, this girl then got pregnant and she is tripping. Not in my house. It's about to be Jerry Springer, Maury Povich. We're about to have some problems around here. Abraham, you got to get rid of this chick. And Abraham very calmly says, oh, she's not mine. That's your servant. You do what you want to with her. It doesn't make sense. He has no problem sleeping with her and he has no problems throwing her away. The text tells us that she stopped being a side piece in verse three and she became his wife. Like there's no major ceremonial language that's mentioned, but the text, I mean, the uh, ceremony that's mentioned, but the text uses marital language. So it's our understanding that they don't just sleep together, but she she becomes his wife in Jewish law, like in Jewish customs. She becomes his wife, and yet after this enmity starts between Sarah and Hagar, Abraham has no problems with throwing her away. Uh, it speaks to the fact that he does not take seriously his vows to the he's made to the Lord at this time, and he also doesn't take seriously the vows that he's made to Hagar. He is someone who will make these vows and these commitments, but if he doesn't like the circumstances, he will very happily very quickly renege on his promises in order to take a shortcut to help God out or to help himself out or to achieve his goals in a faster timetable. And that's true for all of us. Uh, I think if we we live in a society right now where it is clear that we prefer shortcuts, we are a microwave generation, we are a Snapchat generation, we want things and we want them immediately. The sense of delayed gratification is no longer a spiritual discipline that any of us practice. 
It's no longer just an adult discipline that is present in our lives. We are an impatient people. We have road rage. We can't watch videos uh, on Instagram or on YouTube. We're constantly doing five things at one time. We've got Netflix going in the background. We've got our phones up. We're checking email. We've got our iPads open. And we're talking, having a conversation with someone at the same time. We have multiple things going on at one time, and it has created a lack of focus and an inability to be present and to be patient in the moment. And because we're not patient with people and we're not patient with ourselves, we know that we are not patient when it comes to the things of God. There's much to be able to say about that. I don't have a lot of time because I try to keep these brief. Let me say another thing briefly, too, about what we see kind of going on uh, in this text. I'm going to be a nerd for just a moment. It's also not just an issue of patience, I think, in the text. It's also an ethical problem that we see in our society. It's a difference between what uh, ethicists call ontological ethics and deontological ethics. Come on, somebody. Who's got a master's degree? I do. Use all them big words in school, and nobody really cares what they mean. Uh, (laughs) Briefly, Ontological ethics, in a nutshell, just says you're focused on the end result, not the process, right? That the ends justify the means. It really doesn't matter if we have a bunch of undocumented immigrants get off of a boat and kill the indigenous people and enslave some Africans and kick out the Chinese and stop women from being able to have equal rights. Look at America. Look at the country that we've been able to build. It doesn't matter how horrible the history was. The end result was we built a great nation. That's ontological ethics, that we are only looking at the end result. Uh, And obviously, an ontological ethical perspective is adopted by most communities in power. And so most people of European descent typically have an ontological ethical perspective. White men in particular, more often than not, have uh, an ontological ethical perspective that they are focused on the end result, always looking forward and not looking back. But if you are marginalized, if you are a woman, if you are a person of color, if you are a woman of color, if you live at the margins of society, if you're a part of the LGBTQIA plus community, more often than not, those of us who are marginalized, who are not in positions of power and equity to affect change in our community, we don't have an ontological perspective. We're not looking at the end result. We're looking at a deontological perspective. In other words, we care about the end result, but that's number two. Number one for us is who are we becoming in the process? If we do this, if we don't do this, who will we become if we say yes to this, if we say no to this? Who are we maturing into or what are we maturing into? What are we de-evolving into uh, if we choose to elect uh, Agent Orange? Meanwhile, back at the ranch. Uh, And so that's what we see going on with Abraham. And if you have time, I want to encourage you to study the life of Abraham because it is not just uh, who he is at the conclusion of his life. You see someone who along the journey, uh, you see someone who matures. You see someone in Genesis 12 who, I'm all off script for a second, but I feel this thing. You see someone in Genesis 12 who is willing to sacrifice his wife for his own safety in Genesis 12. And by the time we get to Genesis 22, he's willing to sacrifice his one and only son simply because he believes it will honor the Lord. We see someone mature on the journey of life from someone who is selfish to someone who is selfless. And that's what we see in the life of Abraham. And that's what's not happening right here with Hagar. He is being selfish once again. You see a a series of selfish acts in Abraham's life throughout the course of his life. But as he journeys, as he matures, 
as God reveals himself more and more. And he says, I am not going to change. Abraham, you have to wait on me. Stop trying to help me and let me be God in your life. I felt my Baptist right there. And so because of that, <laughs> he doesn't do that right here. Um, he, he and Sarai decided they're going to get with Hagar and she had, gives birth to Ishmael. And Abraham doesn't care. He kicks this chick out of the house. And the angel of the Lord in a very powerful story, the angel of the Lord in a powerful episode comes to her. Uh, and it's a word for Hagar and it's a word for all of us. In the midst of that drama, in the midst of Hagar feeling used and abused as a second class citizen and being discarded, the angel of the Lord has a powerful word for this woman who thought that she was marrying into status and to wealth and to safety and security. And now all of a sudden she's been thrown away and she is a single mom, not sure where she's going to go and how she's going to take care of herself or her child. The angel of the Lord comes to her and says, Hagar, where have you come from and where are you going? Where have you come from and where are you going? What a powerful story. This is God we're talking about. He doesn't need any help. He knows who this is, where she's come from, where she's going. He knows when she was born and when she is going to die. He knows the next time she's going to catch that corona. I'm just kidding. Praying for everybody on the Asian part of the world. <laughs> so <laughs> He knows when she's going to get sick. He knows everything about her, but he knows enough to speak a word into her heart. So, uh, Hagar, where have you come from? And where are you going right now? Turn around and go back. And I will make sure that Abraham and Sarah take care of you because this ain't your fault. It's theirs. And they have to deal with the consequences of their actions. And if you know anything about biblical history, you know that the, our Muslim brothers and sisters, the Muslim community, they trace their ancestry back to Ishmael. Yes, fam. Yes. Muslim community. Go take a class on uh, the Muslim faith or just don't look at Wikipedia because anybody can edit that mess. Go find you a book on anything written about the Muslim community and its origins. Now, Abraham is the father of three great world religions, Judaism, Christianity, and uh, the Muslim faith. Uh, Jewish people and Christians trace their ancestry back to Isaac, and the Muslim community traces their family back, their family heritage back to Ishmael, or their faith back to Ishmael, rather. And so what we see in the text, in the text is that uh, Abraham and Sarah tried to help God, and now we got Muslims. Ishmael and Isaac have been fighting for centuries. And so there's so much in this text, but the key takeaways, don't try to help God. You create far more of a mess than you ever intended. Uh, pay attention to not just uh, the end result of our actions, but who we're becoming on the process, in the process of uh, pursuing the goals that we're after or, or the roads that we're on. The decisions that we're making Every single day, is it helping us to become the person that we need to be to in order to accomplish the purpose that God has for our lives? And so as we get out of here, fam, let me ask you real quick, where have you come from? And where are you headed as we really get ready to end the second month of 2020? Where have you come from? And where have you where are you headed? Did you try to help God in the past and speed up his timetable and process for you? And if so, what were the consequences of that? I want to challenge you. I want to invite you in this uh, this first couple of months of 2020. Don't try to help the Lord. Don't try to help him. Where are you headed? Be still and know that he is God and that he's got you. He will take care of you. He will provide for you. Trust God's word. Trust God's timing. Until next time, fam. Love you. Stay up. Be blessed. Peace. Mm -hmm.